This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I think today's program is going to be one of those where we just kind of catch up on all of the things we're meaning to talk about, but just don't get around to sometimes. And this is an ongoing problem. It, it happens every week. We have so much material and so little time. So we may have some old friends on and we may not. We'll have to see how it evolves. Speaking of old friends, we do want to thank our favorite comedian, Mr. Will Durst, for his outstanding appearance last Friday here in Sacramento. I do hope, my dear listener, that many of you attended this event because he was in rare form. I can cite at least one person I know who took my advice that it would be a worthwhile show as saying that he did have a very good time. I did run into Jeannie Keltner and a producer, Greg Popejoy, who uh, produced Soapbox over at Sacramento Access, a show I've been privileged to substitute host for on a few occasions. Jeannie's always fun. We have to bring her back on this program, I think, sometime soon. Along with James Israel, whose uh, anniversary, at least the anniversary of the Humor Times, we were celebrating last Friday. Certainly a worthy publication. We wish James many more good years. But at this point, let's start the program as as we like to start every program with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 29th of August. And it was on August 29th in 1533 that Atahualpa, the 13th and last emperor of the Incas, died by strangulation at the hands of conquistador Francisco Pizarro. His execution marked the end of 300 years of Inca civilization. And the whole episode represented one of the more dirty double crosses of world history. Pizarro demanded a room full of gold in exchange for Atahualpa's life, and then reneged and killed him anyway. Speaking of dirty deals, on August 29th in 1842, the Treaty of Nanking was signed by the British and Chinese. This ended the Opium War and ceded Hong Kong to Great Britain. It's often forgotten in the West, especially by those who promote things like our phony baloney drug war, that the Western powers, at least Great Britain, forced opium upon the Chinese people when their government was trying to restrict it. It made too much money for the British, you see. We'll have a little more to say about our own drug war later. On August 29th in 1949, the Soviet Union successfully detonated its first atomic bomb, codename First Lightning. The explosion at 20 tons was roughly equal to that of Trinity, the first U.S. atomic bomb. And it should be added that the Soviet Union was able to create their bomb a lot quicker and a lot cheaper than we did, thanks to spies. Although the Soviet bomb guaranteed mutually assured destruction and sort of a balance of power during the Cold War, it turned out that by August 29th in the year 1991, the Soviet Union was kaput. The Communist Party's 75-year control ended as the Supreme Soviet suspended all party activities. Which meant, among other things, yes, no more Soviet bloc parties. Our quote of the day comes from Winston Churchill, who once, after being shown several canvases by a bodyguard who also enjoyed painting in his spare time, the retired prime minister observed, 
They are much better than mine, but yours will have to be judged on merit. Our quip of the day is from Alfred Adler, who once said, It's easier to fight for one's principles than live up to them. A joke of the day comes from the writers of Jimmy Kimmel, who noted that Hawaii has a new service they hope will reduce the homeless population. If you're homeless, the state of Hawaii will pay for your plane ticket and transportation to the airport. Note Kimmel, the hard part's trying to get the shopping cart into the overhead compartment. Adding, if homeless people don't want to fly, they will pay for them to go home on a cruise. Noting finally that's just what the cruise industry needs. Now, with homeless people! Chris, we may have to keep this one quiet. If some people in Sacramento find out about this, they'll probably try to bring all of Hawaii's homeless people to the greater metropolitan area. Actually, it may be unfair to impugn their motives and suggest that uh, certain people in our area want all of the homeless of the nation to converge on the region. It's just that it sure seems like it sometimes. Our anecdote of the day, we may need to actually add this feature. This one also comes from the Wits Thesaurus, is as follows. After sending his play to French playwright Tristan Bernard for review, a young playwright asked Bernard for suggestions for the title. Bernard, who had not yet read the manuscript, paused and then asked, Are there any trumpets in your play? Puzzled, the young dramatist replied, No. Any drums? No. Well, said Bernard, why not call it Without Drums or Trumpets? Here's one from a couple months ago. And here's a stat from a couple months ago. For the first time in U.S. history, there were more recorded deaths than births among white Americans in 2012. That's according to the Census Bureau. The difference was tiny. There were just 12,000 more deaths among non-Hispanic whites than births. But it did mark a demographic turning point as the white population shrinks. As a bit of follow-up on our speculations a week or two ago about uh, hacking into cars, we note that the United Kingdom's high court has banned a cybersecurity researcher at the University of Birmingham from revealing vulnerabilities in the ignition systems of Porsche and Audi cars built by Volkswagen. With car hacking on the rise, VW argues that the paper would be a gift to criminals. Maybe to assassins, too. Speaking of assassins, we refer you to Rahim Hosseini's article in the Sacramento News and Review titled, The Smiling Assassin, talking about Joshua Wood, Noted the piece, there's a whole region that's taking notice of Mr. Wood, adding that over the past year he's championed suburban sprawl near Rancho Cordova, lobbied for Walmarts in Sacramento, and applied Breitbartian tactics to the Sacramento Kings arena battle. Peace notes that rumors are swirling he's eyeing a scrum to enhance Kevin Johnson's mayoral powers. It appears that Mr. Joshua Wood certainly knows how to line himself up with, shall we say, the moneyed interests. Apparently, he got himself hip-deep in this so-called controversy about uh, out-of-town money trying to raise signatures to put the issue of whether to fund the kings from using public money on the ballot. By the way, the piece notes that Sacramento taxpayers opposed to pork, S-T-O-P, which, of course, says voters should decide whether to chip in some $250 million in public funds, has recently claimed that has more than half the 22,000 signatures needed by mid-December to force a ballot showdown. Of course, people on the other side that want to have all that money flowing around here, public money to get this arena going, are determined to prevent a vote because that's what democracy is all about, isn't it? I noticed the Sacramento Bee mouthed off on this recently saying that in the arena battle, disclosure will be vital to all sides. 
with a subheadline saying that region builders are so far following rules. The B editors note that after blasting city leaders for supposedly concealing the true size of the arena's public subsidy, those pushing a citywide vote lost credibility when a mystery donor paid for much of the petition drive. The $100,000 contributor turned out to be Chris Hansen, the billionaire who tried to buy the Kings and move them to Seattle. Blah, blah, blah. We like a Cosmo Garvin's take on all this in the Bites section of the News and Review. Noted Cosmo. Now we know the Seattle billionaire Chris Hansen did indeed give a $100,000 check to the paid signature gathering campaign that has paralleled Stop's effort. All the excitable arena bros are lining up to say, I told you so. Cosmo noted the Sacramento media lost their collective mind at that point. The press ate up California State Senate President Pro Tem Daryl Steinberg's one-word press statement. Unbelievable, said Cosmo. Please, what's unbelievable is the unbelievable volume of phony outrage being ginned up by the phony outrage machine in this town, which otherwise routinely shrugs off low-grade corruption and bribery of the very politicians now acting so scandalized. What's unbelievable is the daily media's abandonment of even the pretense of fairness on this story. Man, are we with you on that? We've been complaining for a while on this program that the Bee and a lot of other sources are, well, pretty openly cheerleading for this whole matter of keeping the king and spending whatever it takes, blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty sure that our griping did not uh, induce uh, uh, some self-evaluation by the Bee, but we, we would note that executive editor Joyce Terhar did write a piece with the title Bee's Arena Stories. Fair? Question mark? And I'm glad the bee is asking itself, uh, you know, if their coverage has not been weighted toward those who support public funding for a downtown arena. Joyce Terhar did argue that, uh, yes, indeed, our editorial position and that of many of our columnists clearly support the arena plan. But she did note that they asked both sides of the campaign to provide additional disclosures not required by law, and only one side, downtownarena.org, the one in favor of all the pork, did so. Our final paragraph is, is, I think the information we reported as the story developed was integral to public understanding of what's shaping up to be a lively local political battle. You may feel otherwise. Let me know. Okay, Joyce, I feel otherwise. And a guy we can sometimes count on for some real bloviations would be Marcos Breton, who sometimes we like. Not necessarily when he writes columns like this from August 25th, titled, Burn Your Petitions, Hanson. And he goes on to blah, 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 trying to argue that, uh, well, there must be a connection between Hansen's effort that he paid for and Stop, saying there are plenty of people in Sacramento who don't believe that Stop has had no contact or coordination with Hansen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcos, why don't you go back to see what you can do to, you know, stop cannabis smoking, which seems to be another one of his pet peeves. Also closer to home on this, we think, is Dave Ehrman, who wrote the Sacramento News and Review with the following. Some weeks back, I signed a petition demanding that the proposed new downtown arena be put to a vote by the citizens of Sacramento. I signed on because I see that as a basic principle, before our elected officials commit to a project of this magnitude, we the people should have an opportunity to have our voices heard. Now there's a campaign to get people who signed the petition to withdraw their signatures. Yesterday, someone left a slick, full-color door hanger on my door, urging me to withdraw my signature from the original petition and included a postcard I could send in to do so. Yeah, let's stop right there. Don't you think some people are spending a whole lot of dough on that? Yes, on that. An effort to make sure that we don't get to vote. God, calling Robert Mugabe? 
God, maybe, maybe we should involve the Burmese junta in this effort. Let's move off this topic. I just want to note that, uh, you know, there's a long tradition of lining up with the side you think is going to be the winning one and joining it. I uh, have to conclude that Nora Ephron took a look back in the 1970s and saw which way the political winds were blowing and decided which way to blow with them. I was in the UCD bookstore the other day and saw a book by hers. It was a compilation of essays titled Crazy Salad, Some Things About Women, and Scribble, Scribble, Notes on the Media. I never read anything by Nora Ephron, so I took the plunge. I have no comment about Crazy Salad, Some Things About Women, but when it comes to Scribble, Scribble, Notes on the Media, wow, is she full of crap. She has one big, long hit piece on Daniel Shore, a man we were privileged to have on this program twice. And we have to think of as just a giant of uh, 20th century journalism and, and 21st century journalism for a good dozen years, too. Nora didn't have too much good to say about Dan Shore or, for that matter, Theodore H. White. But boy, does she lionize Hugh Ainsworth, a man who reportedly was in all the key positions in Dallas during the time of the assassination of President Kennedy 50 years ago this November and took a position from literally day one that it was very clear that this was all had to do with Oswald acting alone with no help, that he was even making noise while the Warren Commission was being put together, that if they didn't come to that conclusion, he was going to have some things to say about it. Well, he needn't have worried much about that. Anyway, Nora Ephron, I'm not a fan. Let's move on. Actually, there's one item I just have to talk about to radically change the subject that I've been laughing about, oh, I don't know, four or five weeks now. The Sacramento News and Review likes to review local eating establishments. And I just have to chuckle over Becky Grunewald's piece on Jim Boy's Tacos. And I'm not going to quote much from the piece, but I just have to note <laughs> that they gave it four stars out of four. And when's the last time you saw a fast food joint get four stars out of four? Whether you agree, whether you disagree, you know, whether you like gym boys, hate gym boys, whatever, I just have to take my hat off to the courage of staking out this position. Before we move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly, I want to go to our own mailbox to first of all quote a letter we was sent by Tucker, who noted, a while back you credited one of those self-help advice columnists with the quote, opportunity is missed by most people because it looks like work. It has eaten away at me. The actual quote is as follows, and it is by Thomas Edison. Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. As a furniture maker, I often wear overalls, and I think your quote thief missed the point. For example, I'm sure Mitt Romney works very hard, but he knows not of the work which Edison speaks. I hope you will agree and set the public straight. Well, I do agree, and I thank you, Tucker for setting the public straight on this. And to which I would also add, I wish I knew how to make furniture. I think that would be very cool. I always note that every time I do throw anything together, be it a treehouse or a radio show, there always is a certain amount of pleasure in creating something that wasn't there before. And coming in about two hours before Tucker's email to us was one from, well, the man we're going to hear from shortly. Dr. Gary Aguilar. Actually, he forwarded this from Peter Buxton, our guest on the program from three weeks ago. We hope you caught our chat with Peter Buxton, who is one of the more notable whistleblowers of the past few decades. Peter was the one who 
told the public about the notorious Tuskegee study. If you missed that, we would refer you to our archives at radioparallax.com. Anyway, Peter's joke, as relayed to us by Dr. Gary, is as follows. A woman went to the doctor, worried about her husband's temper. The doctor asked, what's wrong? Doctor, I don't know what to do. Every day my husband loses his temper for no reason. He scares me. Doctor said, I have a cure for that. When your husband starts getting angry, take a glass of water and start swishing the water around in your mouth. Just swish and swish and swish. But don't swallow it until he leaves the room or goes to sleep. Two weeks later, she came back to see the doctor looking fresh and happy. Doctor, she said, that was brilliant. Every time he started losing it, I swished that water. I swished and swished, and he calmed right down. And I have to ask you, how does the water do that? Said the doctor, the water does nothing. Keeping your mouth shut does the trick. And I would like to interject at this point the opinion that that is a funny joke. <laughs> does not necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But Mr. McMillan does like it. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for crass commercialism after tennis star Maria Sharapova asked the Florida Supreme Court to let her change her surname to Sugarpova for the U.S. Open. This was a publicity stunt for her new line of candy. Sharapova evidently backed out of the name switch, according to her agent, after discovering she would have to, quote, change all her identification, unquote. Well, yeah. This game is a surprise? On the other hand, it was a, a bad week last week for revenge after Canadian police caught a man dumping heaps of manure into his estranged wife's outdoor hot tub. Reportedly, the 64-year-old man then made a failed getaway attempt on his tractor. Said an officer, it was a low-speed chase, about 12 miles an hour. And apparently a couple weeks back, it was an ugly week for buying $38,000 Swiss handbags. Or at least so it turned out to be for Oprah Winfrey. I think we may have mentioned this in passing on the show a week or two ago, but I have to pause again and ask, who the hell buys a $38,000 handbag? Well, apparently Oprah Winfrey or someone with as much money. This caused a bit of a stink because there seemed to be an implication that Oprah Winfrey, being black, wouldn't be able to afford a $38,000 handbag, when, of course, Oprah Winfrey could probably afford to buy Switzerland. We did note a rebuttal comment, as repeated in The Week magazine from Ruth Spitzenfield, writing in Neue Zürcher Zeitung, or something like that, asked Ruth, was it really discrimination? Those who know Switzerland well say no. Whites, even locals, get the same treatment in Zurich. A sneeringly arrogant superior attitude is the default service mode in the city's boutiques. 
Shoppers tell of having been subtly ridiculed when they asked for top brands such as Rolex. Many say they've been ignored even when they spoke directly to a salesperson. Others have been looked up and down only to be coldly told, we have nothing in your size or price range. She concluded by knowing Zurich clerks are downright egalitarian in their rudeness, snubbing everyone equally. It has nothing to do with racism. Well, frankly, we doubt it, but but then again, uh, yours truly never seems to shop in boutiques with, you know, $40,000 handbags. And I must confess, I have no plans to start. We are overdue for a break, so let's take one. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got lots more. Stick around. Lip gloss. You think you know fashion? Well, fashion's a stranger. You think fashion's your friend, my friend? Fashion is danger. Posing at the bar. Posing. Posing sitting down. Posing. Posing in the distance. Posing. Posing with my arm. Posing. Posing with my leg. Posing. Posing like a swan. Posing. Posing for a portrait. Posing a threat.